0: of Two Guys and a Chainsaw. I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. Today we tackle another request, this one from our listener Vincent, way up in Norway. He requested that we do 1980's The Changeling, a haunted house movie uh, starring George C. Scott that has a bit of a reputation. Uh, this had been on my list for a while, but I had definitely not seen it before, so I was really excited to jump in and see it for this episode. Uh, Craig, had you ever seen this movie before?
1: No, I'd never even heard of it. I mean, I when you said The Changeling, I was thinking about that Angelina Jolie movie that came out sometime in the aughts. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, no. Yeah. <laughs> I, I had no idea what we were getting into. This... this uh, apparently was filmed in 1979 but wasn't released until 1980 so we were just mere babes when this came out yeah
0: this would have been something i would have imagined it would have shown up on television like on saturday afternoons after all the cartoons during like the saturday afternoon yeah. chiller movie right yeah it's what it kind of felt like it really did feel like that it, it's it's a it's a haunted house movie at the, at the at the heart of it right yeah supposedly based on a true ish story um, the writer Russell Hunter um, stayed in a house in Denver and had these strange things happen to him more or less exact what's in the movie he said uh and so he wrote this movie based around it and uh that's this is what we have i mean i I don't tend to believe that kind of stuff <laughs> to be fair um but it's a nice idea anyway that uh that this is based on a true story interestingly enough for that. It doesn't have anything in the beginning or wherever in the movie or in the credits or in the titles or anything that says, "Hey, this is based on a true story." So it's it's not a film that seems to be trying to milk that for what it for what it is, which is interesting.
1: Yeah, I I, I had no idea that it was based on a true story or you know supposedly true story either until I was reading about it just mere minutes ago. I, I was interested. You know, that, that kind of, for me, I almost wish that I had known that going in because I felt like it would have added some level of interest that mm. maybe this uh, really happened. And, you know, I, for the longest time in my life, was like you and would say things like, I tend not to believe these things. I was super, super skeptical of um, anybody who... Ever said that they had any kind of experience like this until? Okay, so uh, the 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 town that I live in, a small town in in rural Missouri, it's a college town. That's where I met Todd. He lived here for a while too. Um, we're a university town, and there was one building, um, Todd, you'll remember well, Baldwin Hall. Oh yeah, um, yeah. that people uh, were all the time saying was haunted and that they had had these, you know, unexplainable experiences in. And I would always roll my eyes hearing these stories. I'm like, okay, you know, good story, bro, whatever. But then something happened to me too. And I was was alone. I was totally by myself. And this weird, totally unexplained thing happened. And so... I'm a believer now. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Like, I I swear, like, I was so skeptical. I didn't believe it at all. I would roll my eyes at these types of things. But then something totally weird and unexplainable happened to me while I was all alone in the basement of Baldwin Hall. And uh, so now I give far more credence to people who share ghost stories. So... I'm not as big a skeptic as you are, perhaps. Well, that's a good story, Craig. Maybe you should make a movie out of it. (laughs) It would be a really short movie.
0: (laughs) I I think so, probably. (laughs) I'll tell you, um, my dad uh, and his... uh, Well, my dad has a brother and a sister, and they lived in supposedly a very legitimately haunted house in New Jersey growing up. And he tells me story. It was this house way up in the woods, overlooked the town, he went to a, a school, if you can believe this, it was actually called the River Sticks School. <laughs> Kid you not, public elementary school in, in New Jersey. And this house supposedly was very haunted. Now, you know, this, again, is the sort of thing I'm extremely skeptical about, except it comes from my dad. And the family has talked about it very matter-of-factly for a very long time.
1: Well, and your dad seems like a very rational, down-to-earth guy, you know, like he not is. somebody to make up that kind of thing.
0: No, and and all of them really are, you know, but my grandmother, there was there was a basement in this house and my grandmother hated going into the basement because she always felt like there was somebody watching her. And there was my aunt lived in sort of a studio in the kind of like an attic type studio up up, up above, you know, where like the ceiling is really yeah, the roof yeah, kind uh-huh. of thing. And to get into her room there was a trap door and once she woke up and would and swore that there was a girl standing by the trapdoor at the foot of her bed and then quite regularly to the point where they got used to it apparently in the downstairs the doors to the cabinets there would bang just open and shut and open and shut in this one room and they even did this deal where they put string across the cabinets mm-hmm. you know because of course you'd walk in the room and nothing would be there you know, the, the noises would stop and the cabinets would be there. And and sure enough the string wasn't broken in any way. And they said also that the all of the jars <laughs> that they had in their fridge, like all of the cans and bottles or whatever in their fridge, periodically would be completely unscrewed and just sitting on top of the, the jar the lids <laughs> would be periodically unscrewed. Now it's just the weirdest poltergeist <laughs> whatever right, you right. can kind of imagine. So, you know, I mean They lived in this house for years and put up with this, I guess, you know, which is also a little credulous. I mean, incredulous. I I don't know. But anyway, this is total family history told as though it is nothing. And so, you know, they said, yeah, you know, we were more fascinated by it than anything at the time. She said, I don't think anybody except for my grandmother was ever frightened by these odd goings-on in this house. And actually, that came to me when I was watching this movie. George C. Scott moves into this haunted house, and maybe one of my biggest criticisms of this film is that it's hard for me to get terrified by what's happening in this house because he doesn't seem terribly terrified by what's happening in this (laughs) house. Like, he's just so rational about it all. He just kind of walks around, and these... These things that now I, there were there were scenes in this movie that gave me chills, and, and that scene would be over, and he'd be staring at whatever, like the wheelchair at the top of the staircase that shouldn't be there, and then it immediately cuts to a scene of him walking down the street to the yeah. library, you know. <laughs> Like, what? (laughs) How did we get from point A to point B? Why was he not running, screaming out of this house? What did he do, like, take the wheelchair back to the attic? (laughs) You know, like, like, okay, well, we'll see what happens next, you know? I think that was my biggest criticism, if I were to kind of overarch it. There were so many scenes in this. Actually, I thought the movie was pretty terrifying in a few spots. But at the end of the day, it all kind of got neutered by the fact that you never felt like he was in a lot of danger because he never acted like he was in a lot of danger and furthermore the movie was edited in a way that you would just cut away from these scenes of scariness to the next day yeah
1: and they're they're still in the freaking house right
0: you know <laughs> well, <laughs> so. you know
1: I, I and i read some you know critical reviews of the film and most of them were very positive and this film was actually you know pretty critically acclaimed and it won a bunch of awards um, especially in Canada <laughs> I guess they found it really <laughs> good in Canada the, I, the thing is you're, that was one of the criticisms I read that there really didn't there wasn't enough like impending doom like you didn't have a, a fear that something terrible was going to happen and and I agree with that but at the same time maybe that adds kind of more credibility, realism to it if in fact it is based on a true story, because you know the things that are happening, yeah, they're spooky. But it's not like he was afraid for his life, you know. Like, okay, so there's banging in the house. Well, big deal. There's banging in there's banging in my house that I don't know where it comes from. Sometimes, well. <laughs> I see where your mind is <laughs> you bring it up. There's,
0: well, there's banging in my house. I know exactly where it's coming from. <laughs> Bring bring (laughs) it, bring it out,
1: bring it out of the gutter, Todd. You know those like that one little spooky experience that I had. Yeah, it was spooky, but it's not like I felt like I was in danger. It's not like I never went back there. So, uh, I, yeah, I was, you know, in a play that was the, the dressing room, the makeup room was downstairs. That's where it happened. And I kept going back. It's not like I, it's not like I, all right. So fled. You keep alluding to this, Craig, you got to tell
0: us what happened. What happened?
1: Oh, okay. It's so silly. Okay. So I was down, it was, uh, four, a play in college, and I just happened to be the only person in the makeup room at the time. And this basement, I mean, it's an old building, and it was spooky. You've been down there, you know. And... Mm -hmm. is spooky. Not only were the makeup rooms down in this dingy, dark basement, but they also were connected to this entire tunnel system that ran under the whole university that nobody even really knew about, except I'm sure, like, the maintenance people and those of us who had to put our makeup on down in that little spooky basement room. But I was down there by myself, and I put on music. I put it on, and it turned off. And I was like, well, that was weird. And so I I started it again. And this was in the days of CDs, so it was a CD. I turned it on again, and it turned off again. And I'm like, what the heck? And so I turned it on again, and not only did it stop again, but the stereo lid, like, popped open, and the CD flew out of the... Stereo. (laughs) Like across the room flew out or No, like 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 just popped out and landed on the on the counter. But well, that's you know still why. really weird.
0: <laughs> it's weird, but you know, I think your
1: st- I think your
0: stereo is just broken. That's why it kept right, stopping.
1: <laughs> right. But how does this how does it pop out? Like that? like you know those the in the old days with the CDs, like you had to like open like there was like a flip top cover and you had to like like stick it down onto you like it stuck in, you know? It's not like you just slid it in like you do if anybody still uses CDs today, like you s- slide it in and it like sucks it in. No, you had to like, like pry it on to like these prongs. Mm-hmm. and it, Under tension. Yeah. Whatever. Anyway, so that happened. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I thought you were going to tell me something like, oh, then a ghostly voice came across her don't play this music
1: no but other people saw stuff in there too like uh our friend ron who i think we've mentioned before who works in that building has said many times that he's seen and heard things like people hear like disembodied music playing now granted it was a music hall for a while so somebody could have been practicing somewhere but um you know uh my my partner you've mentioned our friend Randy who also works there he's like the building manager there um he's seen things my partner worked for Randy he saw things like unexplained lights going on and off and all kinds of stuff. So there's a long history of people telling these stories, but I would literally like scoff at them and like openly, like, okay, <laughs> 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 and then and then something happened. So who knows? I don't know. It could have been there could have been a totally rational explanation. The point is, yeah, this guy moves in here and these weird things start happening, um, and they seem. Innocuous, you know, safe at, at first. Uh, and to be fair, by the end, the very end, things are raised to the next level a little bit. But yeah, they have to be in a movie, right? I don't know. And I guess he's just more than anything curious. You know, he wants to figure out what's going on. Yeah, and and that's and that's kind of what the movie is. And frankly, like again, this movie was really well accepted and and critically acclaimed and i just found it a little bit boring in the very beginning john is the main character played by george c scott who is you know an incredible actor he is on vacation with his family and they have car trouble and so they're on the side of the road and he goes to a payphone to call for roadside assistance and there's a terrible accident and his wife and daughter are run down on the road, and so he 's kind of recovering um, slowly from this loss and and there are some i thought powerful moments, like there was one moment it was very brief where he 's just weeping in his bed, yeah, and that you know that that sense of loss came across really well. And it seemed like you know, so he moves, you know, I guess to kind of get away from past memories or whatever. And and um, I think this is supposed to be set in Toronto. Is that right? Yes. Where's the space needle? Well, it's, supposed the space to, it's supposed needle to
0: be is. set in Seattle, I think, but it's filmed in Toronto. Yeah, so there's there's a needle there. Gotcha. I guess the needle in the movie is supposed to be Seattle's, but Toronto has gotcha. one too. Okay, <laughs> all right.
1: So he, uh, he moves there and he's looking for a place to live and I don't even, he, he encounters this lady who works for the historical society and she's like, oh, I, I bet we can, find you a a place, and she does. She finds him this enormous mansion. Like, like here's this single guy, you know, who's like, oh, I think you should stay in this huge historical mansion. Yeah, And he says, okay, and uh, he moves in there, and it's gorgeous. It's this huge, gorgeous mansion that I would have bet money was an actual landmark, but it wasn't. It was entirely a facade and and set uh, filmed on sound stages so
0: weird yeah it does look totally like a
1: yeah it looks totally real
0: it's a super elaborate place and it's i have to admit this was even going through my mind as i was watching it i'm thinking come on (laughs) this one single guy is supposed to have this massive mansion to live in and the woman who shows it to him as walking him through the rooms and now he's a composer that's what he does and yeah. she walk, leads him into one room and says
1: this is the music room this is
0: really why i thought of you in this house the piano was left here when the society took over just too much trouble to move really it must be in very
1: bad shape
0: and I looked at it, and I'm like, it's just another big room in this giant house with a with lot a of big rooms. It. <laughs> it just happens to have a piano <laughs> in it. There's nothing special about this room.
1: Well, and to be to be fair, I mean, apparently he's very, very successful. I mean, mm-hmm. not it, yes, he's a composer, a famous composer, and I presume that's where he has amassed the fortune that one would need to rent this <laughs> huge mansion. Um, but he also, you know, does like guest lecturing at the university in town and and stuff well, like he that. Well, so, he should throw a party in this house every now and then, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, it was a big, beautiful house. What a waste. Yeah. But anyway, I guess the fact that he lost his sense of loss, his feelings of loss are what draws this spirit to him. You know, it's almost a two-hour movie. It's an hour 45, and it felt a little long. It felt very much like a mystery, but I felt like the mystery was, like, 75% resolved really early. Mm. (laughs) And so, you know, weird things start happening. I don't even remember. Like, one of the first, he hears these banging at first i thought the piano i thought it was the piano banging Uh but it wasn't i guess i guess it was like the heat or something that was banging and he calls in some maintenance guy that's just always around and the guy says oh it's an old house this stuff happens okay well fine whatever then we see little things like He'll be playing the piano, and a door will open behind him, uh, and he doesn't even notice. So just you know little things here and there. The first uh, kind of big thing that happens is he hears a faucet running and he goes into the kitchen and yeah, the faucet's running. he turns it off. Well, when he turns that off. he hears that there's water running elsewhere. so he goes upstairs, a bathtub faucet is running, and there's water in the bathtub. and then uh, at that, moment he sees under the water what appears to be a little boy like like under the water and like you said it's so weird like he sees it and he's like <gasps> and then it just immediately cuts away and he's just like walking down the street like mm-hmm. I, that w- <laughs> banging is one thing CDs flying out of a CD player is one thing seeing a ghostly boy under the water of the bathtub that would freak me out yeah <laughs> <laughs>
0: One would think. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't actually feel that this movie was poorly paced. I I felt like it was pretty much on par with most Haunted House movies, especially this era. I thought it actually had a pretty nice build to it. It was a little slow. I think it's a little slower than what we'd normally expect nowadays from our yeah. Haunted House movies. But for the time and for, you know, what I guess you could consider a classic movie now, 1980. That's that's getting back yeah. there, I guess. It I thought it I thought it had a nice pacing. One of the nice things it did was it it did have something mysterious happening on a fairly regular basis. Even though those mysterious things more or less were innocuous, mm-hmm. they weren't even to the level necessarily of CD flying across the room. They were definitely like a piano key plays itself, which is right. scary, but it's not going to hurt anybody. Right. And you're right, up until we get this drowning kid's face in the bathtub, you don't get a real sense. But then again, even that is something that it may or may not be in somebody's head, right? Sure. You're always watching these kind of movies and you the character sees something and you're always weighing it against, did he really see it or did he imagine he saw it? Especially when you're dealing, in this case, with a guy with, who had some trauma. You always wonder, is mm-hmm. this a psychological thing? Is right. this his own trauma that's that's building in? And so even that, if I'm going to play devil's advocate here, I could make an excuse for why he might it kind of like House, the guy's undergone trauma, and so it might not necessarily, mm-hmm. he may be questioning himself in all of this. Um, you don't get that sense that he is, but it's an argument that could be made for why he doesn't run screaming or freak out more when all these things happen. I don't know, but, but then again, his character's just sort of painted that way. He's very flat, I think, through this movie. Yeah. Except for the crying at the one moment. That's about it, and even his grief isn't really played up. I feel like it kind of falls by the wayside a little bit. Maybe it's meant to be an undercurrent or an undertone that kind of like flows beneath everything that happens, but I never really felt like it was referenced a lot.
1: I don't know. I agree with you to an extent, um, but I just, I think that George C. Scott is such a talented actor that he can kind of get away with some of that subtlety. Um, and there are moments, you know, there's a moment where he goes riding. He's got a, I guess it's his romantic interest. Is her name Claire? Is that? Yeah,
0: Claire Norman.
1: And mm-hmm. at one point they go horseback riding and he just has kind of a quiet moment and she's like, what's the matter? And he's like, well, my daughter who died really loved horses. And that's it. That's as far as it goes. Mm-hmm. But you you kind of, you know, you see a little bit of his pain. Um there's a moment where again another kind of haunted moment where he's kept this like rubber bouncy ball that belonged to his daughter it's kind of like the one thing that he's hanging on to and at one point it comes rolling down the stairs mm. and he takes it and like drives away somewhere and drops it over a bridge and it's very subtle but I feel like you see that this is a moment for him, like I'm letting this go, mm. uh, and then of course he he comes back home and and it's back and and that's just that was further evidence for him chilling.
0: I mean. You know, the whole ball bouncing down the stairs thing, I don't know how many times we've seen that in a Haunted House movie. It's become cliche by now, but I think at the time of this film, it wasn't quite so cliche. And in fact, it really fits because his daughter, one of his earlier memories of her that was earlier established was her tossing this ball at him. And in fact, earlier in the movie, the ball falls out of some boxes as... The helper is bringing the boxes in, and that's what triggers that memory. So the, it, the ball ties in quite nicely. That moment where he throws away the ball, and I knew what was coming. But still, I, I mean, I, I got chills when that came back down the stairs. It was just so bald and bold. And then, boom, you know, next day.
1: <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. This is yeah.
0: this isn't something you can write off. You know, you threw that ball away, and it is back in the house now, right? Rolling around,
1: and it's creepy. And I feel like that's what that's kind of the the last thing that uh, I don't know. I mean they they do some investigating, like the, at some point. Uh, he's outdoors and a window shatters, and to trace what window has shattered because it, it appears that, like, it's in this attic room, but he can't find the room. Uh, eventually, he finds it, but the door has been hidden behind these shelves. Mm-hmm. So he has to tear down these shelves to get up there. And he gets up there, and of course, it's, you know, very cobwebby and spooky and oh, it's, haunted looking. It's cobwebby all right. I thought you need to
0: watch out for the spider that's been making these cobwebs, buddy. Yeah. It's got to be one massive spider or clan of spiders in there.
1: <laughs> well, at that point I think it was supposed to have been shut up for like almost a 100 years. Yeah. So they've been working hard though over that 100 years. Let's just put it that that's way. That's true. And there's like a spooky old-fashioned wheelchair in there and it, it, you know it's it's kind of evident that it was a child's room. Like there are toys, like little, like, I don't, it looked like maybe like little army men or something. Mm-hmm. And there is a music box, and when he plays the melody from the music box, it turns out that it's the same melody, exactly, precisely the same melody as a song that he thought that he had composed like the day before. Mm-hmm. Um, but he records all of his compositions on tape. And um, when he plays the tape and the music box at the same time, they are in perfect unison. So weird, spooky things going on. At some point, he's up there, and he's up there with Claire, I think, and they find a a monogrammed notebook that has the initials CSB, and it's dated January 4th, 1909. That leads them to do, like... (laughs) My favorite thing in these old movies where they have to go, like, do their library research. (laughs) On microfilm. It's great. On microfiche, yeah. (laughs) And uh, he finds out that um, in 1909, the owner was a doctor with a couple of kids. And the daughter, he finds out that the daughter of the doctor was killed in a freak accident when she was hit by, in the road... And he thinks, oh, man, that's just like what happened (laughs) to my daughter. So maybe that's the connection. And then that kind of gets pushed to the side for the rest of the movie that really doesn't have anything else to do with it. I I can't remember in sequence when it happens. But eventually, he has a vision of a a young boy in a bathtub in that room. And a man comes in and grabs the boy by his ankles, and holds his ankles up in the air so that the kid is submerged in the water and can't get out, and the kid drowns.
0: Okay, now I've just got to stop you here because this was a really disturbing scene for me.
1: It was. It was hard to watch. It was really sad.
0: It even brought back thoughts of burnt offerings where the father almost drowns his son in the uh, pool, and that went on for so long, and it was just so visceral. Yeah, this was worse, I think. <laughs> well, first of all, because he actually ended up drowning him. And second of all, it, it was it was horrible. It was this unfeeling kind of thing where he lifts his legs up. You don't even see the dad. No. You know, you see his arms and his body, and he lifts this kid's legs up in the air and just lets the rest of him fl- flounder about inside the water of his little bathtub until he stops. Oh, I, I God, man, I just couldn't. I could hardly watch that. Honestly, <laughs> yeah, it was re- it was
1: it was really. It, I mean, it, it was disturbing and it was sad. You know, mm-hmm. this this young boy, and and especially when you get the context that this is his father doing this mm. to him, and and the way that they get that context is. Um, They have a seance. I don't even remember what prompts the seance.
0: Oh, he goes to a place, like, I think it's at the university or something, and they're talking about psychics. I tell you, off the record,
1: we have coming here many mediums and spiritualists and so, and we test them. Now, 99% are the frauds, but the
0: 1% astonishing. And so he apparently refers this medium to him. He's trying to get some kind of psychic investigation going on the house, I think.
1: Right. And so they they have this seance, and this medium, you know, calls on whatever spirit is there. And then, I, I can't think of the word for it, that psychic writing automatic
0: I, writing I think is what they call it yeah yeah
1: something like that and um that's what she's doing like she's just scribbling on notepads and her assistant is like you know pulling the papers out whenever she fills up one page and she goes on to the next page and it's mostly just you know like swirls and things but as she's communicating eventually she gets some response and the spirit through her, writes things. She says, are you the little girl who died? And he, the spirit says, no, I'm not. And She asks, who is it? And it's Joseph. She's like, what do you want? And he writes um, John, which is our main character's name, and help. That's pretty much it. And then something on the table falls over and knocks the glass over and the glass shatters, and that's it. But John was using... The same tape recorder that he uses to record his compositions to record the seance. And when he listens to it later, he can hear the spirit talking on the tape. When the spirit is asked, how did you die? The spirit says, my father, my room. And that, I think, is when uh, he ends up having the vision. You know, he, he sees the whole thing play out. That's a big criticism I have of the movie, too.
0: It's a vision. (laughs) <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, 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 he could have had it at any time. You know, it, right. could, I, it wasn't necessarily... I guess it was triggered by, I I don't know, who knows what it was triggered by, but I kind of hate that in these kind of movies where the character has a vision. It's almost like the character has a dream that explains something, you know? Right. Here you've got this investigation, he's figuring things out, that, you know, I could kind of wrap myself around, but then it's so convenient for a guy then to just have a vision that then furthers the plot as well. And not only that, but gives him really important, crucial, key information that he wouldn't have gotten otherwise, you know? Now... I thought that that séance scene was very well done. I mean, I I thought it was intense too. I am seriously, I was kind of on the edge of my seat with it wondering if something bad was going to happen. And then when he sits there and he plays that tape back afterwards and you hear that voice once again, I'm I'm thinking, "Oh my gosh, something bad's going to go on. You know, he's going to hear that voice yeah. say something really creepy or something's going to come behind him or whatever." Because he plays it back over and over and over again. And, gosh, man, we do this so often. You, you think of other movies, right? Was it Sinister, where the guy yeah. plays the tape back and it, it says something different the second time? You see, yeah, something like that. Uh-huh. Maybe it was the rock and roll nightmare or something like that. I don't know. But <laughs> there was the potential for that to happen. It didn't. But, boy, I was waiting for it, and I was really thinking. It kept an intensity about the scene. But, but then, again, I'm kind of a little let down that nothing really came of it then the next day he's out walking around and doing his doing his next thing right and the fact that the voice spoke you you'd think they would be building on that you know is he going to try to talk to it now is he going to start hearing this voice more often mm-hmm. and none of that really happens either you know <laughs> so yeah, it's it's odd I mean, it's got these neat elements, and it's got these, I think, really intense scenes, really strong creepiness, but none of it necessarily kind of builds on each other. There's no build. Right. It's like, okay, yeah, a bunch of creepy things are happening. That is a build. But it's not like they're all building together to create a larger intensity in a cohesive manner. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. I mean, I I, I feel like the purpose is that they're trying to place the puzzle pieces... (sighs) you know bit by bit um and and they do you know i i feel like maybe they reveal a little bit too much early on and that hmm. ultimately the end game is a little bit i don't know it's not like it's not interesting it is interesting but I feel like they show their hand a little bit too early. But I, I will agree with you that those scenes with the seance and uh, the him playing back the recording, yeah, I was very much um, invested in those scenes. I was interested. Uh, it was There was tension. Um, I was very interested to see what was going to come of it. But then it just kind of gets back into procedural mystery and... There's nothing wrong with that. And and obviously people, you know, enjoy it and and enjoyed it at the time. It's just I, I've to me the it's like, oh, here's this kind of really intense tension scary part. All right, let's go do some more research. Like, uh mm-hmm. can we yeah. skip the research? <laughs> like, I get it. I get it. Like, that's that's what would happen in real life. Like, you would have a moment, and then you would go and do some research. But this is a movie. Like, <laughs> yeah. keep, me, keep me entertained. Going back, and I think maybe this
0: is the, maybe one of the last bits that I thought was super creepy. And it must not have been long after that, because he calls... Uh, that woman, and she comes over and I guess he's told her over the phone what he saw and what he's kind of figured out about this kid being drowned. So she comes and she's super distraught. She's crying. I think about the whole idea of it. She wanders into the other room as she's crying out into the foot of the staircase and he's in the other room next to her where she just left and suddenly she turns and she looks and she literally, like her face, freezes. Mm -hmm. And she has this... Absolutely horrifying look on her face. And I was flipping out when I <laughs> you know, right I mean what is she seeing? right? What is she seeing? And it's like, I don't know how many seconds went by, but it felt like an eternity for just to see her glassy eyes, nothing coming out of her mouth, scaring an, staring at staring an absolute horror. And it's a side view. It's really really cleverly framed and he's kind of blurry in the background. He comes towards her like he's going to comfort. Her. He's like, what, what, what? And it's like, freaking turn around, freaking turn around and look at what she's looking at so that we can finally see what she's looking at. And I mean, I was, I, I wanted to, I was reaching out at the screen at that moment and he turns around and it was not disappointing at all. That wheelchair that they had seen up in the attic covered in cobwebs that belonged to this kid was at the top of the stairwell and it turned towards them. Mm-hmm. And I about flipped. Like, uh, <laughs> you know, like, th- movies don't really scare me that much anymore. But I about flipped at that. And then uh, it cut away to, like, the next freaking day. Yeah. Like, what? What?
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it what happens did, It happens time you, and time again. What did that, you do with the wheelchair? Did you, you know? I mean, they put it back in the attic. They had to because
0: later on we see it back in the attic again. I right. Mean, you know what I mean but there gets to a point where he sits there screaming what do you want you know at the yeah. in, in the house and i don't remember how he gets around to this whole deal with the metals and finding that
1: i know that's the th- i kind of lost track of it too like they research the kid and they find out that the kid was disabled but then something about an orphanage and they're like, oh, this poor kid he was disabled and then he was an orphan and I'm like, what? What are you talking about? And then somehow, they are directed to this place that was on the original estate of the house and he goes and he looks at all these like, maps uh, yeah, maps, atlases or something, and this guy tells him like, oh, okay here it is over time, and Here, and John is like, well, what's this little circle right here? And they're like, well, that's a well. And it shows up here, and it shows up 10 years from then, and it shows up 10 years from then. But then they redistributed the property. It got sold off. Yeah, and it got sold off, and they built a house there, and the well's not there anymore. And so he goes to this house that just some rando woman lives in. And um, eventually they go to her and they tell her the whole story. And at this point they know about, you know, this boy had been killed, drowned. And and they believe, again, I, I'm not really sure how they get there. But what they figure out is that the dad, wh- whose name was Carmichael, had a son Well, he had a son and a daughter. The daughter was killed by the the coal cart. The son was physically disabled. And then the mom died. Well, it turns out that all of the wealth in the family came from the mom's side of the family. And um, when she died, her dad left all of the money and estate and property To the son The disabled son But he left it in trust And that trust was Overseen by The dad But if the disabled son died Before he turned 21 The dad wouldn't get any of the money Yeah So what he did Apparently was He killed his disabled son Because he feared that he wouldn't Make it to 21 And then secretly adopted a kid from, like, a foreign orphanage, and then he sent the new kid, the changeling, away to a boarding school or to a hospital or a sanitarium or something in Europe... And it just so happened that World War One broke out, and so it made sense that he wouldn't bring the kid back. And so then after World War One was over, he brought the kid back. But by that time, the kid was 18, and so it was easily explained that he had been cured while he was over in Europe all that time. That kid then inherited all of the family wealth. And became a senator. <laughs> <laughs> it's so like it's so contrived, like. Yeah, but it's rather
0: convenient.
1: It's logical. I mean, it makes logical sense. It's not so. It's. I don't have to suspend my disbelief that much to believe that that could have happened. Yeah. So now, apparently John is on this mission to like, he doesn't even know what he's doing. He just keep, and, and he keeps saying that. I don't know what I'm doing. I just keep trying to do whatever this spirit is leading me to do. And the spirit leads him to this house, and he convinces the lady who lives in the house to let them tear up a room in her house to excavate the well that I don't even know how he knew the kid was in the well, but he was. Yeah. And they find the bones, Good and luck. then there's this whole thing about a metal. I don't even know what that metal was
0: all about. I have no idea where that metal came from. I don't know what... Did they read it in the newspaper or something? I don't remember. They but, must have. I don't but know. it was really important to them, because they find the body, and they call the cops over, and the cops dig up the body, and then he gets all cagey about why he which, which is funny that the cops just end up dropping it like this guy yeah. came over chainsawed up the floor of the house found a hidden well and a body inside and oh, well I just happened to stumble upon it well like right. you were not renovating the floor you know let's yeah. just put it that way <laughs> so anyway they just let it go but he's like I've got to get back there because if without that metal you know we don't have I any have no proof.
1: proof Yeah,
0: and so he goes down and basically breaks back into the house digs through there to look for this metal, can't find it. And then supernaturally, the metal comes up through the ground and reveals itself, which must have been just like two inches. If he just dug just like a, one more scoop of dirt more, he probably would have found this metal. Yeah, right. And it turns out that the changeling guy, the senator, has his own copy of it.
1: I don't know. Which like, also doesn't make sense. <laughs> so no, I don't know. If,
0: if this metal proves that the kid is who he is, Right, and it's that important. And then the dad did this swap. Wouldn't the dad have just taken that medal and given it to the new kid? Right. Why would he have buried the the old kid with that medal and had an exact copy made for the new kid,
1: right? Right. Well, and then, so uh, John, like, tries to confront this Carmichael guy, the senator, with the medal. And the Carmichael guy, like, acts like he... Like, he's trying to act like he doesn't know what's going on, but it seems like he kind of does know what's going on. Um, and then he sends, like, a police goon to threaten John, and we find out that uh, Claire has been fired from the Historical Society without explanation, and John has lost the lease to his house, and this uh, detective is threatening to come back and tear up the house until they find this metal, And then the detective mysteriously dies in a car accident which we are meant to believe was caused by the ghost and and then john again really with no purpose like i i just don't even understand like he goes to the carmichael guy and he tells him the whole story Mm -hmm. he you know he tells him the whole story of how he was swapped and blah 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 and the guy acts like he doesn't know, but at the same time he says, Oh, people have been coming and telling me these wild stories forever. And How much do you want for your story? Yeah, he thinks he's being blackmailed. Like he's going to buy him off. Yeah. And John's like, No, I don't want your money. In fact, here's everything. Here's all the evidence. Here's the metal. Here's the tape of the seance. Here's all the files that I found. I've done everything I can do. Like, What? You haven't done anything. Like I don't like. Yeah. In fact, you're just kind of like, you know, giving this up. guy his way out. The other thing that was bothering me was like, this guy's a senator. He's obviously already well established. So what if this comes out? He didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. You know, like, yeah, he was just a a victim in all of this. Like, what difference is it going to make, really? Yeah. But apparently, it's really important.
0: Well, I think he's. He has some feelings about his father, his quote-unquote father you know, his reputation, I guess, maybe even in death. You know, he's like, my dad was a good man. He was a very good man. None of this makes sense. He wouldn't do this kind of thing. And he gets quite upset about it. So maybe that is really, it's just kind of a family honor thing more than anything else at the end of the day.
1: That's fair. That makes sense. Yeah. And he does. He says that. He's like, I'm not going to let you destroy his legacy. And I get that. Especially, you know, if he really, you know, if he was so young that he really doesn't remember. And that, you know, if his father, you know, raised him well and with love, you know, I can understand that that would be upsetting, and you wouldn't want people to know about that. But, uh, whatever. So then John goes back to the house, and the spirit is clearly still angry, and that's when he's like, what do you want from me? (laughs) (laughs) And
0: that's a good question, actually, because I really wasn't sure at this point. I mean, they found the body, he confronted the dude. What did he want? Did we find no, that I, out by the end of the I, movie?
1: <laughs> I, m- m- the only thing... I, like, I feel like the spirit wanted vindication. He wanted the wrong to be righted.
0: The truth to come out or something.
1: I guess. Ultimately, I don't really know what that means, because what happens is, first, before John even gets home, Claire gets there, and she like sneaks around the house. And this was a really interesting scene, because... I feel like they were trying to kind of give us her perspective because all of a sudden the camera started doing wonky things Mm. where like the, the rooms were kind of like the camera was tilting. So it kind of gave you this uneasy, I'm on a boat kind of feeling. Mm -hmm. And I felt like that was kind of what she was like, she was noticed, Oh, something's Weird, And she goes looking for him and she ends up in the attic and then the wheelchair chases her (laughs) until she falls down the stairs. And then John shows up and he gets her out. Uh, But then he goes back in and he starts going up the stairs and this ghostly wind, which is apparently like hurricane force, like blows Blows him off the landing (laughs) and he crashes down and lands on the floor. And then this part was so surreal and bizarre, and you're going to have to maybe explain it to me.
0: Mm, I don't think I can.
1: The old guy, the Carmichael guy, the senator, is in his office, and he takes the medal that John has given him, and he lays it over the painted portrait of his dad, and it the portrait and the medal start to shake, and he's scared. Then all of a sudden, he's in the house. Yeah. And he goes walking up the stairs and the the banister catches fire, and the house catches on fire and John runs out of the house, and he and Claire just get the frick out of there,
0: <laughs> which yeah. I thought was kind
1: of funny. Carmichael is in the house, and it's burning, like the staircase falls, so you know there's no way he can get out of it and he goes up into the attic and it's burning, but then it the scene cuts, and you see that he's also still in his office, mm-hmm where he has a heart attack and dies. So I guess that him being in the house was more kind of a vision type thing except for John saw him there. Yeah, I think
0: I think it was supposed to be kind of a spirit projection like here like maybe he's having his heart attack his spirit is leaving his body and it's returning to the house. Okay. Maybe Fair. that's the best I yeah. can think. Yeah, but you're right. It's it's a little ambiguous there what's going on it's meant to be creepy but yeah at the end of the day they discover the senator's body and pack him away in an ambulance and what you see is the entire burned down shell of a house with just that wheelchair still mm-hmm. sitting there and that's the image that we're left with at the end of the movie well, which
1: i th- and the music box the the, the <sighs> yes. last yeah the music box is there too and it pops open and it starts playing that melody and then it, it, the, the camera zooms out to a wide shot of the rubble, um, and the credits
0: roll. Well, you know, speaking of the music box, I thought the music in this movie was
1: fantastic. Oh, yeah, yeah. Really, really good.
0: And the cinematography in this movie was also incredibly good.
1: Dated, dated from a 2019 perspective. Well,
0: you don't get zooms and things, at least, which would have been typical here. But you get a lot of dolly shots through the house. It's really, It's really sliding through and moving in and out. Really, at times, there's a lot of top-down shots on the guy and and walking through the house as though the house is very much an imposing force on them. You know, I think we talked about that a little bit in Burnt Offerings. No, it it was the opposite in Burnt Offerings, wasn't it? Where we were seeing a lot of the ceiling, it sort of felt oppressive in a different way. Yeah,
1: yeah. I guess maybe it's not so much the cinematography that feels dated. It's probably just more the film stock, uh, you know, the quality of of the picture. You know, it just doesn't look as clean as digital looks today. But, I mean, you're right. It was well shot. It was. um, The director didn't
0: really do a lot. He got a lot of acclaim for this movie. Um, He's done... When I say he doesn't really done a lot, that's not really fair. Um, I mean, he's done... Things. Uh, his name is uh, Peter Medak. He did Species 2. You know, he did uh, a number of movies, did a lot of TV. Actually, he did a number of episodes of the reboot of The Twilight Zone in the 80s. Um, he did an episode of Tales from the Crypt. Um, you know, he's he, done like he Law did and did Order. An,
1: he did an episode of. Uh, Oh gosh, there was a horror anthology, Masters of Horror. Yeah, he. Did. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, the Washingtonians, and it was one of my favorite episodes from that whole anthology. It was fantastic. It was so good. Oh, I've never seen that one. Oh, watch it immediately! It was so good. <laughs> well, okay, and the writer. You know, I
0: talked about the guy who came up with the story. He didn't actually write the script, but the story has two credits. The story um, is uh, two people, William Gray uh, and a woman named Diana Maddox. And William Gray wrote The Philadelphia Experiment. He wrote Prom Night huh. and a few things on TV. He wrote for the TV series Robocop and, and a few different things. Not not a lot of credits, but a decent number of things that you'd know are in his background. So that's kind of interesting. The Changeling was one of his first screenplays. So, you know, I mean, it's it's not a bad movie. It really isn't. It's not as terrifying as it could have been, frustratingly so, because parts of it I felt were some of the scariest things I've seen in a while, to be honest. I mean, I maybe I was just in the mood for it, you know, tonight. But uh, yeah. it really it really hit all the right nerves for me. But then that catharsis never it never landed, you know. It, it you yeah. get up there and then it just kind of you know fall flat in this this yeah. guy just not really I'm not really going on the adventure with him, you know. <laughs> right, like, right. he's Agreed. very detached as he's going through it and that allows me as a viewer to kind of be detached too and not really feel that sense of scariness. And so, you know, it was it was very much a mixed bag in that way. But no, I th- I think overall it's quite an accomplished movie. It's it's good. I mean, compare this to a movie like Burnt Offerings. Mm, it's it's still up there. Maybe even a little better.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I didn't watch it under the best conditions. I had to watch it. I watched some of it at work, and I like I I uh, it, I chopped it up over you know several different viewings. Um, You've got to
0: stop doing this, Craig. You really get a different perspective on these movies. I think the way you.
1: somebody will hear you that I watch these things
0: at work sometimes oh I don't care that you're slacking off on your job
1: (laughs) hey I have free time sometimes anyway uh, no so I didn't watch it under the best uh, conditions I think that it's a perfectly competent movie i think that it's well made it wasn't engaging and exciting enough for me to like really get into it Um, but i'm in the minority i mean it, it got really good reviews it was really well received um so if you're listening and you're interested in these types of movies and if you're somebody who likes you know a diverse style of of filmmaking. Check it out. I mean, it's certainly worth checking it out. It's 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 competently acted and and well made and I I really don't have any concrete criticisms. I I don't know. I just it wasn't really for me. You
0: yeah, know, it stands pretty firmly as a product of its time, don't you think?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, thank you again, Vincent, for your request. We really enjoyed it. If you have any requests, you can find us on Facebook. Just search for Two Guys and a Chainsaw. Leave us a note there and let us know what you'd like us to hear. Also, let us know what you thought of this podcast. And if you enjoy this podcast, please share it with a friend. We'd love to get new listeners. You can find our webpage, twoguys.red40net.com or you can simply Google us and you'll find us wherever you find podcasts posted until next time I'm Todd and I'm Craig with two guys in a chainsaw.